0: Do you know what time it is? It's time for The Workforce Show, where you will learn the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM.
1: and welcome to the Cyber Edition of the Workforce Show. I'm Jeremy Haas, and I'm here with my co-host, Olga Polishchuk. In this program, we talk with a variety of guests about the field of cyber and careers in cyber. And as we've talked about in the past, cyber is a very diverse field and it's much more than IT or engineering. And that's why uh, I'm excited for our guest today.
0: Hi everybody, please join me in welcoming Dr. Thierry Gouditis, who brings a unique perspective of uh, behavioral sciences and cyber intelligence to our today's episode um, the cyber edition of the work show. Dr. Godaitis is the director of the intelligence analytics program in the department of criminology law and society. Dr. Goudaitis is also the owner and CEO of MindStar Security and Profiling, which specializes in custom cybersecurity, physical security, risk management solutions for family offices, high net worth persons, and their families. Jerry started her career um, as a CIA operations officer and behavioral profiler at the Counterterrorism Center. She then left government service to pursue the expansion of profiling techniques as they applied to hackers, Internet, social media users for the commercial sector. Prior to forming her own firm, Terry was the vice president and cyber intelligence director at CyValence and held senior positions at SASC, Synapse Technologies, Global Integrity Corporation. So both Jeremy and I have known Terry for years and had the pleasure to work with her. And I consider her to be a tremendous force in my professional life. So Terry, thank you so much for spending time with us today and joining us. Take us back to uh, the time when you started your career in cybersecurity and cybercrime profiling.
2: Sure, well, thank you, Jeremy and Olga, for having me today. Um, I will take you back several decades, if I may say so. Um, I was at the US government and doing behavioral assessment and psychological profiling, behavioral profiling um, for a number of different criminal and other intelligence-related matters. And um, at that point in time, I had sort of a junction in my career where someone from the private sector asked me, hey, Goditis, you think you can do that profiling thing you do, but profile hackers? And I scratched my head and I probably scratched my belly a little bit and said, huh, um, I don't know. I, I, so I did a little bit of research. And I myself at the time didn't know a whole lot about online anything, because we're talking about the late 90s, early 2000s. And so I looked into it and said, you know what? I'm going to try to merge criminal psychology and technology and see what we can come up with. And so that's how it started. And I started looking at primarily attacks against the US financial industry um, as they were starting again in the late 90s and early 2000s. And my wonderful teammates who were in computer security, computer forensics taught me a lot about how how to read everything from log files to looking at firewalls, looking at file structures and a little bit of code. So I was able to take all those data points and apply them into looking at the human part or the who done it, who wrote the malicious code, and why and how are they targeting these particular organizations?
1: In, in what way is the the profiling of a cyber actor different or the same as, you know, other types of criminal profiling activities.
2: The main difference is, is in the remoteness of it. So it's, it's what I call a remote assessment. And we don't necessarily know who's on the other side of the keyboard. So it's not a, it's not a typical interview face-to-face situation where you're gleaning information from a suspect or a subject or an individual um, who might be a witness or, or a victim so you they're an unknown person and in fbi terms that's an unsub so you have an unknown person or persons in a remote location from where you are so all of the data that you're collecting is actually digital data again the code how the attack vector was organized was it organized and once again the data is not necessarily communicative back and forth as it would be in an interview situation. You're gleaning information about that person and the breadcrumbs they leave by how they orchestrated that particular attack or hack. So
0: seeing cyber back when you started your career in uh, cyber criminal profiling, and now how what is your current definition of cyber?
2: Cyber is much broader than it was decades ago. Cyber to me today is not only the IT portion of it, but it's anything that has connectivity. So our cell phones, our iPads, our tablets, the Bluetooth refrigerator, the GPS you have in your car, the OnStar, really the whole soup to nuts environment where we can jump on a system or a network and have connectivity. So to me, those are all cyber points that feed into sort of one central either system or, in the case of individuals like like me, a user, and how many things I use per day. It could be online, but again, connectivity is key, whether it be Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, Fios, whatever the flavor is, cyber to me equals technology and connectivity.
1: So with the rapid expansion of, of cyber and the way that it's changing, if you're able to predict the future, what are some of the trends that you see? really in cyber broadly, but also within criminology, the kind of the role that you see it either playing or not playing, you know, maybe things that we just don't think about right. you, if, if we're not a part of that, that, do, that domain of expertise.
2: Good questions, Jeremy. I'm gonna take the first one and that's the changes that I'm gonna see maybe in the future are coming now and then we'll hit the more specific one about criminology. Generally speaking, I see cyber now taking on again, in a more home or domestic role, where when you look at the common household, you have far more gadgets, toys, connectivity parts. It's not just a modem or a router anymore. There's a lot of points of connectivity that may or may not work together. And as we've all heard about Alexa and more recently Siri, um, a lot of these devices and things we're bringing into our homes aren't necessarily secure. And I see that that's going to be continue to be an explosion of different types of technologies coming into the home, um, both on what I'm going to call the grand scale, um, which may be you know different flavors of Wi-Fi, but also miniatures. Uh, we're seeing miniature devices being able to hold video, audio. Uh, we're able to travel around with these little devices. And on the other hand, I also see an explosion of what I'm going to call the macros. Those are commercial launched satellites that are going to be up there both taking pictures. We all are familiar with Google satellite imagery, um, but taking pictures about other things and the commercial use of those, either by, you know, real estate folks or those specializing in other areas, other industries, whether it be energy or something else that need to have satellite photography and topography for either geologic reasons or otherwise. But I think again, things that our US government used to have solely for national security purposes are gonna come into the hands more and more of your average person and your average company. So that was part one. Part two on the criminology side, for me, even though I'm I'm not in law enforcement, I do work with my clients on a number of different issues, um, some of which do go into the criminal realm. But there has not been one type of, of investigation, whether it be stalking, embezzlement, blackmail, fraud, fill in the blank, that didn't have a cyber component to it now. Whether it didn't have something online that was... Relevant to the case or something in digital data that became digital evidence that wasn't in the case And this has been for the last maybe five even ten years not one case Coming across my desk that doesn't have that digital or cyber component to it So that's one thing that's going to be I think heavily embedded in any law enforcement practice whether it be evidence collection or how you interview a subject or a witness or a victim about a particular crime But I also think because of the usability of these devices, how we are sort of a texting culture right now, the philosophy and data and evaluation of, let's say, interview data or interrogation data, I think how people are going to present themselves communicatively, interpersonally, is changing right now with eye contact, speech patterns, and I think where police officers, law enforcement specialists, special agents who interview people in in relation to cases have certain tells, if you will, that they look for when they're interviewing people related to a case. I think those tells are going to change because of how we interpersonally interact with our devices. Eye contact's gonna change, those micro-expressions are gonna change. And how we appear to be deceptive or not is going to change.
1: Do you see any particularly disturbing trends um, in the way cyber incidents are perhaps affecting your clients or um, just to, you know in the industry as a whole? Because because I know you work with a, a variety of people that are you know across the globe of different ages from children to adults so i just just curious kind of from a trends perspective there if uh, if if you if you if you're noticing a shift or 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 if there's just aspects to, cyber aspects that you find particularly interesting or even troubling
2: both jeremy both interesting and and maybe a little troubling um, but I think there's some solutions to those things that trouble me and keep me up at night. One one thing has to do with risk and vulnerability and putting yourself in a position of being more risky and more vulnerable. A lot of people don't realize the information that they personally put out there on the internet, whether it be on social media, whether it be on things they think disappear like Snapchat or, or whatever it is, a lot of that data is out there and can be easily collected um, through cyber means. A lot of it's floating around on you know, the black web, if you will, because we have had hacks and compromises. And so it's not that one little piece of information you put out there on Twitter or Facebook or one picture or an event. It is the accumulation of all that data that we've now had out there for at least 10 years maybe more twitter's been around i think since 2007 so we've got a good dozen years going there if someone like me comes and collects personal data over the course of a 10 to 12 year swath even five years i can tell an enormous amount about someone and their behavioral patterns and what they do and where they go and we're just putting it out there you know every day Um, A lot of people I talk to say, well, I'm just taking pictures of my food. What difference does it make if I have my dinner, you know, posted to my Facebook page? I said, well, you know, there's metadata behind that picture. GPS location, time and date stamp. I pull all that information, and now I have a chronology and a where and a when and a how and and a why you go somewhere to eat this lovely food you're posting. So... There is an inadvertent risk of too much self-disclosure that I think criminals and others are taking advantage of um, for and, and turning that disadvantage back into the physical world of robberies um, and other types of, of activities and events that might take advantage of somebody, um, whether that be children or adults. And, and I've seen cases on both sides. So I think while that's concerning to me and and I think is going to continue to be as we have so more social media platforms and more ways to express ourselves online and publicly for that matter, I think it gets back to education. It gets back to educating children and adults about what happens to that data really, where does it go? And it was very surprising to me that people were surprised that Siri was listening. Well, of course she's listening, and Alexa was listening. How else do you think when you when you say, "Hey Alexa, get me a pizza"? How else do you think she she, I'm sort of uh, humanizing the the, the machine, um, is going to hear your voice? They're listening all the time for certain cues, and so most people didn't don't think about having a listening device or a bug, if you will, in their homes every day or walking around with their iPhones with Siri on all the time. So educating yourself, your family on what you're bringing into your home. What do you have in your car? What's that talking refrigerator or toaster all about? What does that Bluetooth device do? What does it listen for? What about my Nest thermometer? So there are all these things that are built for our convenience and are excellent devices, and they do awesome things, but they're not necessarily security-minded. And so I think we, as a culture, need to educate ourselves better on what are these things actually doing, and how are we putting ourselves at risk?
0: You know, you bring up a good point, human being, the weakest element at all times. Um, you know, with your transition to academia, um, what, what is the advice you give your students right now?
2: In a department, again, criminology, um, specifically in the intelligence studies and intelligence analytics realm. And so a lot of my students want to go into the intelligence community or in law enforcement or in the law to become attorneys and judges and, and, and the like. And so we do talk about personal security. We talk about what does it take for someone in the field to get a government position. What does your background check entail? What does that mean for you as a human being, being ethical, moral, for both yourself, your your colleagues, and and your country? So we do talk about that. We talk about cyber. Um, I have one of my wonderful colleagues um, at the university who's in the School of Engineering come in and we cross-teach so that no matter what class, again, there's a cyber component to everything. There's a cyber component in intelligence, there's a cyber component in criminology, there's a cyber component in criminal psychology. And so for the students to get as educated as possible about, again, that digital arena because that's what they're gonna live in. That's what the jobs now are going to entail. And it doesn't matter whether they're gonna be an attorney or a police officer, FBI agent, NSA officer, it doesn't matter. They will have to face the digital arena and the cyber arena.
0: And does it resonate with the students?
2: It does. Um, Most students are very attached to their own devices um, and, are, and are great users of it, but don't necessarily understand some of those risks and vulnerabilities that they may be engaging in because the app or the, the platform that they are choosing to engage in um, is what they need, maybe for class, maybe for personal use, maybe to help a family member, um, you know, all that tracking information on their Fitbits and, and other things that they're doing what does it mean when all of that data is out there and to show it like puzzle pieces. And if someone got all those puzzle pieces, could they put your whole puzzle together? And if you're going to be going out to be a police officer or an intelligence officer, um, is that really a great thing to have out there?
1: So outside the university environment, do you have advice for individuals who want to get into cyber or add a a, a cyber flair to what they're already doing?
2: I try to encourage both my students and and my clients, um, as well as others um, that I run into. Again, the world we live in today, global society, everybody, almost everybody has some type of device that they're using. My mother, <laughs> grandmas and grandpas out there, um, they've got their iPhones, their Androids, their iPads, Um, the grandma pads or whatever they're calling now for for, for those who aren't necessarily comfortable with some of the uh, more popular devices. So everybody's using it. And therefore, no matter what profession you go into, whether you want to be an architect, you want to be a cybersecurity specialist, you want to be a nurse or a doctor or a lawyer, um, it almost doesn't matter what profession you're in these days. You have to have some type of cyber knowledge so that if you are protecting your client's data as a physician or as an architect or a builder or you're working with the banking industry or whatever you are doing you have to have some semblance of understanding of how does this work we all use cell phones and i ask usually my classes every year does anybody even understand how wi-fi works like what is the process of wi-fi And nobody comes up with, oh, well, those are radio waves. And so even getting back to some really bare bones basics to understand how our technologies work, I think, can help us hone in on whatever professions we've chosen um, and understand them from the digital perspective and the cyber perspective. So I do encourage people who, you know, are either in a profession or want to switch um, absolutely go back to school, take some online classes. If you know going live face-to-face is not convenient with full-time jobs, there are some wonderful online programs both at the university level as well as certification level. And even if you don't go through the whole process of getting a formal certification, the education of that I think is extremely valuable.
1: Yeah, I was going to ask about resources and, and from us, let's just say certification okay. program as an example. What what kind of titles or names of certification programs you think someone should should look at?
2: Again, it's a great question, Jeremy. It probably depends on the profession. Um but of course, one of the most popular ones is your CISSP, um that incorporates both cybersecurity and a little bit of physical security as part of that certification process. There's also, you know, more specialized certifications from, you know, both Google, Microsoft, Apple. They have some very specific ones. Cisco has a whole lineup of them. So if you're in the IT field, you know, you may want to get certified on the types of network or systems that you're working on or that you want to work on that's, you know, in your environment or generally speaking, maybe if you're you're in the law field to look at a CFE or a certified Um, fraud examiner um, certification. But there are so many of them. And one of the organizations you can check is called HTCIA, which is the High Tech Crimes Investigative Association, as well as ISSA or ASIS. And there's listings of all types of different certifications, depending on what your particular career is, career desire is, or your chosen field.
0: So career in cyber definitely has a lot of positive moments.
2: What are some of the challenges that our listeners should be prepared for? I think the challenges for everyone, and this includes some of my colleagues who um, I would say are absolute experts in cyber, cyber technology, is that it's ever-changing. Every day you can look at a, a news release or a new product release and things change every day. So it's it's sometimes very, very hard to keep up with.
1: Well, we just have a few minutes left. Is there any anything else that you ha- would have in terms of advice for, for our listeners that are just interested in cyber?
2: Absolutely. I think everybody out there, if you haven't done it already, um, do a little assessment on yourself. Uh, Google yourself. I think it's called an ego search, or used to be. Um, see where else your home address pops up, your phone numbers any other personal data. Um, pick a friend and have them try to do a search on you to, just to see what's exposed out there because it's not necessarily just what you're posting. It may be what your county, your state, your voters registration, your real estate person. Do your own search and start there and you'll get a good understanding.
0: You can never be prepared in this case. <laughs> Thank you, Terry, so much for your time today. We've really enjoyed Having this conversation, I'm sure listeners too as well. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thank you, Terry. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening.
2: Until the next time.